Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio getting ready to record episode number 184. Got a really good show lined up for you today. In our warm-up topic, we're going to talk about our city of the week, player of the week, equipment tip of the week, have a fun did you know, a really good listener question, and of course, Paige's power play. In the leadoff segment, we're going to talk about the pitching speed uh, post that we had on Facebook and some yeah. questions that came from that I thought were uh, really interesting and exciting. And our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about negativity, whining and complaining and, <laughs> and griping. We all got some. Yeah. And then in our coaching tip of the week, we're going to talk about uh, helping a younger coach connect the dots between stuff that her players are doing in practice and what they're doing in the game. So before we get into any of that, let's talk about our sponsors. First off, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support everything fast pitch at the same time. And please make sure you take advantage of the EFP20. It helps out greatly for uh, you, saves you some money on a great bat. It's also going to help support everything fast pitch. Let's also talk about supporting Everything Fast Pitch by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. We have a new patron this week. We want to thank AC for coming on board as our newest patron, and we really do appreciate the support. The patrons are the people that are keeping this thing moving. Uh, if you go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch, you can see what it takes to become a patron. There's a $5, 10 and $20 a month support, and each one of those uh, has different uh, benefits attached to it. If you are in a position where you can help us financially, it's a great way for you to show that there's value in what we're doing. Um, if uh, you value the, the knowledge and the information that we're sharing, if uh, you're in a position where you can become a patron, it would really help us tremendously. Um, you know, Coach Don and I have talked about it a lot here in the last few months. Um, we were at that uh, breaking point where uh, the podcast was in doubt. Uh, we did the Patreon thing, and we're lucky enough to have some patrons come on board to support us financially. I promise we are not getting rich off of the the podcast business. Uh, Tori, for the listeners, every penny of it's gone back into the podcast, right? Yeah, and we're, and we're yeah. still a long way from breaking yeah. even. So it really does help us to know that we've got the support and definitely do appreciate it. So if you can, become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. So in our warm-up segment this week, Don, let's talk about the city of the week, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Winnipeg, Manitoba. That's fantastic. Again, there are pockets of a lot of really good softball up in Canada and you know that Tori and since way back when and I'm sure it's only grown since then yeah when I think uh, one of the things that's exciting for us is to see the different parts of the country and different parts of the world for that fact are listening you know one of the things when we get the uh, weekly report and to see that we really are an international podcast to me you know, when I first started thinking about this, you know, thinking more like a radio show, right. thinking that we'd have our reach within the Atlanta area, and obviously we're popular in the Atlanta area, but to see listeners from all over the world is just a really cool thing and, and very exciting for us, and to see a big jump in Winnipeg, obviously it's a softball hotbed, I and mean, we've got a bunch of people that are listening that did a great job of getting new people to listen, and so that's our message every week. If you can find somebody that you think would enjoy everything fast pitch or coach prep, somebody that you know is a fast pitch person that isn't listening yet, just turn them on to the idea of giving us a shot. They can listen to one episode. If they think we're clowns and we have nothing to offer, then at least they tried it. But I'm confident that for people that really do love this game, if they listen, they're going to keep coming back and, and taking advantage of the uh, information that we're sharing. And that's good for everybody. And Tori, I hope our new friends in uh, Winnipeg and, and all the other listeners, too, take a, a little bit of time to go back and listen to previous episodes because there's something different in each each week, right? Right. And I always caution people. I had uh, somebody not too long ago that said that was their goal this year was to listen to all the previous episodes. <laughs> start and, and start I told at 25. Them, yeah, I told them you know, they could start about number 10 or 12, that before that it's pretty rough. And he said, no, I listened to that first one. It's not that bad. And I said, now you're lying. Now you're lying. We know, we know you're lying. So... 
Um, but I appreciate the support and the kind words from everybody. Yeah, definitely, if you can get people to listen, we certainly do appreciate it because obviously the more people that are listening, the better it is for us and the more encouraging it is for us to see those numbers jumping up. We really do appreciate it. Our player of the week this week is Berkeley Dunn. Berkeley Dunn is a player that I've worked with in the past. Uh, she goes to Loganville Middle School and she came up with a big hit, a walk-off championship game winning hit to help their team win their end of the season championship. Uh, Berkeley's a really good kid, hard worker, uh, plays on our AP Gold Stewart team as well. Really came up big, is continuing to develop her game, and came up big for Loganville Middle School to win their uh, end of the season championship. So congratulations, Berkeley Dunn. You're the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. As always, please consider nominating a player. We are always looking for players to recognize. Uh, obviously, if they've done something great on the field, that's nice. They've done something great in the classroom. That's awesome. If they've done something great in the community, that's awesome too. We want to recognize players who are doing big things, no matter what the arena. Uh, if you have somebody that you would like to nominate, please send us an email at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Either one of those email addresses. Um, give us a few of the uh, reasons why you think that player should be recognized, and Coach Don and I would be happy to. As I've said several times, it doesn't cost me any more to send a t-shirt to California or Maine than it does to send it to uh, a kid in the Atlanta area, and we would love to see uh, pictures coming back to us uh, uh, like we have in the past of somebody from a faraway place sporting that Everything Fast Pitch and Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week t-shirt. Even up in Winnipeg, right? Well, it costs us a little bit extra a little to send bit more it to Canada, to, yeah. but we'll, we'll work it out. If, if, Winnipeg, if, it happens. Yeah, if Winnipeg sends us a player of the week, we will definitely figure out a way to get the shirt uh, across the border to you. So awesome. uh, congratulations again, Berkeley. You're the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. Equipment tip of the week, Don. Let's keep talking about our Square Cuts training disc. No, the discs, Tori, every week, our kids are enjoying them. I mean, they like the, the different activity. They like the feel. I'm excited that we're not beating up their uh, expensive bat. They get immediate feedback. If they hit them poorly, they're not going to sail proper. If they hit them square, they're going to be in good shape and they're going to feel good about their last cut. Right. Well, one of the reasons that it's so valuable is it does give instant feedback and it is an absolute tattletale. You yeah. know, where, where you might be able to get away with something with a real softball that feels like you're hitting it pretty good. The square cuts training disc is going to tell you. I was going to sure. say I said square and cut and yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> so the idea of uh, of uh, what it tells you every time you swing is is so valuable. I think every hitter should have a set. Um, if you need to order them, if you haven't gotten them yet, go to the fastpitchprep.com website. There's a link right there, an order button right on the front page. Go ahead and fill out all the information. They are forty nine ninety five a dozen, and we'll get them shipped to you as as soon as the order comes in. Um, we're very excited to see them going out the door, but uh, we still uh, would love to see more people getting the opportunity to experience them, and uh, more people can come back and tell us stories of all the uh, benefits that they're gaining. And always, always making sure that we give them the uh, discount yep. code, right, the, for the dis listeners. Yeah, discount code is ILISTEN21. So if you go to the website, uh, again, fastpitchprep.com, and place your order, you enter ILISTEN, and then the number's 2121. Um, that's going to get you a 10% discount, and we certainly hope that everybody will get on the uh, website and order them if you haven't already uh, this week. So, Don, did you know this week is another D1 record for a team, the most hits in a season? I'm going to give you a hint. The record was set in 1995, and the team played 72 games. Division One record, what do you think would be a ballpark number, a good guess, for the number of hits they had in a season? For a whole team, Tori, I would say maybe somewhere in the 600 mark. Yeah, you're pretty close. So they played 72 games. They averaged a little bit more than 10 hits a game. So Arizona that year had 765 hits in 72 games. Uh, 1995, obviously, that's a big year in, in Arizona history. They had a great year that year. That's our um, friend, Coach Kendra. Yeah. Obviously, uh, always had a lot of great hitters, and, and 1995 was uh, certainly a, a banner year. But that's the record right now, 765 hits, 72 games. Uh, which is a number that is hard to reach anymore. The teams that are making it deep into the playoffs and playing for the national championship don't even quite get to that number anymore. So it's a little bit difficult uh, to imagine somebody amassing that kind of uh, uh, season total. But uh, Arizona set that record in 1995, 765 hits in 72 games. That's awesome. So Don, our listener question this week, this is... One that uh, comes to us, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about mentioning this person's name just in case the coach is a listener, uh -oh. but I'm going to throw it out there anyhow. So Tammy sent us a, a note, and Tammy's note goes something like this. Our coach is very strict about the girls being early, ready to start practice right on time. 
but he is usually not ready to start practice and is often late himself. Even when he's there on time, he's still setting up equipment and chit-chatting for usually 15-20 minutes every practice. How do we solve this? Because he clearly doesn't have the same standard for himself that he holds for the players. Tori, that's a tough one. I like the beginning of it, and you know, I like how uh, you know how he's uh, putting the expectations for everybody to be early and for everybody to be accountable that way. But then the tail end of this is kind of a disaster, right? That, right. That throws the good part right out the window and really gives the wrong message. Yeah. Well, it's it's one of those we talk about all the time: do as I say, say, not yep. as I do kinds yep. of things. A lot of the time that we talk about topics, you know, from. Uh, my history, we're always talking about things I wish I would have been smart enough to be better at back in the day. The one thing I can always tell you is that we always did have the, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. If you're late, you might as well go back to sleep because you're not going to accomplish anything by showing up late anyhow kind of model. So there's no such, no such thing as being on time. Right. You were early or you're and, late. And, and yeah. unless somebody had a class conflict, and we always understood that. So if somebody had, let's say if we we're going to have practice at three, and somebody had a class that got done at 2.50, I would understand that they you know, would have to have a few minutes to get from where their class was to practice to get ready to get out there. But they even then knew that that meant as quickly as they could, they were hustling to get there to get out to the field. But if you didn't have a class, if practice started at 3, we expected everybody there, shoes on, you know, you know, ready to go at 2.45-ish. So and you- that way... They always were ready to go. At 3 o'clock, we would start whatever the, the schedule said. But to back that up, if I expected them to be there at 2.45, that meant I expected me to be there before that. I expected me to have a plan and me to have everything set up so that when we got started, we were ready to go. Never an issue with there, that. There was yeah. never going to be a, I expect you to be here early, but I'm going to show up late kind of thing that was an acceptable thing. Now, eventually what happened is you know we would have you know the system so firmly ingrained that the players could practice if I didn't show up, right? You know they 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 knew the code to you know to get to the shed. They knew where the key was hidden to unlock a gate. They knew where all that stuff was, so that if something happened, that they could run practice. But you know this is one of those coaching things that if we're going to set a standard, we have to meet our own standard. We cannot say everybody has to be here early and then not hold ourselves to that same standard. So I was going to say, Tori, the tricky part here now is uh, part of the question was, how do we handle this moving forward? Or how do we right. communicate, I guess, our discomfort right. with the whole concept, right? Well, well, I would probably avoid the direct confrontation at first. I would probably avoid going up to the coach and say, coach, you know, it's ridiculous. You tell my daughter she's got to be here 15 minutes early and then you waste a half hour and she never gets to start practice on time. That's when the coach says, and who are you? Yeah, are, I, you, are you part of this team? I, right? I don't think I would take no. that angle. But what I would start off with is try asking, would it be helpful, would it be beneficial if some of us did some things to help get practice started, to help set up the drills? That uh, feels more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is there something we could do to you know, make sure that the bases are out or that the, you know, that the equipment's set up or that the, you know, the cage is set up or whatever it is? that's going to be on the agenda that day. I guess that's kind of passive aggressive, but I guess it's at least better than totally confrontational. The other way that you could handle it is if you have a good relationship with an assistant coach or somebody like that, kind of broach the subject of, we really Find do out appreciate, who it'll be received yeah, more we, comfortably from. We, we do yeah. appreciate the the message. We know it's important that our you know, our kids learn these things, but it's you know, really confusing to them when you know they they get yelled at if they're late. But nobody ever notices or wants to you know, make any point of the fact that you're never ready to start on time anyhow. No, that's a toughie for sure. But again, I, I love the direction they're heading, right. you know, with the, hey, be here early. And so now, just, now we just need they to just get follow everybody up and, on the same page. Yeah. So, so coaches, finish if, the deal. Yeah, if you're one of those, you know, be here early so we can start on time people, that includes you. Now, I understand life happens. But yep. I'm pretty sure that Tammy's sending this email because this is an every practice thing. In frustration. Not a, yeah. not a it happened one time and, and you know because you had a flat tire or something happened that you had to be late. Because we all know that life's going to happen at some point in time. Something might happen that a coach is running late because of some legitimate reason. If it's a, a constant thing, a constant issue where practice is always being delayed and, and held up at the beginning because of those kinds of things, start off with offering part of the solution, offer a way to help make it better 
And then if uh, the response is, well, no, I, I, I'm going to do it, and you know these kids can just wait, then I think it's okay to, to mention adult to adult. Well, it's sending a really mixed message. You know, my daughter's here 15 minutes early, but then she stands around and doesn't do anything for 30 minutes or 45 minutes. When you're 15 late. Right, because yeah. practice never really starts on time. And you know she's frustrated, or I'm frustrated, or however you want to put it, as unthreateningly as you possibly can. Because I go out of my way to be here 15 minutes, right? So maybe you can go out of your way, right? And or the same, yeah. Or let's set up a system so we can still start practice at on time. (laughs) I like your idea there. If if it's a you know, and it could be, then the coach could say something like, "Well, we're locked in. You know, we have to have the field at three o'clock, but I don't get done with work until three, so it's always going to be 30 minutes for late before I can start it." Well, then we can say, "Okay." We got warm-ups, we right. got assistants, we got What else can we be team doing captains in, that, besides yeah. twiddling our thumbs while we wait for you to get here? If, if it's some sort of situation that you know, is unavoidable, then let's just figure out a way to make the best of it. And I think you know, that if it is something like that, then Tammy's well within her boundaries and, and the parents are well within theirs to try to figure out a way to make sure that if we have to be at the field at 3 o'clock, that that's our set time to, to be able to practice. And we have to be off the field at five o'clock because that's when practice has to end. Let's figure out a way to get those 30 minutes to be more productive. Um, let's figure out a way to make sure that we can get something done. Let's put the kids in charge of stretching themselves. Let's you know do whatever we need to to make sure that that time is seen as a beneficial, useful and beneficial. Useful. Yeah. So, so Tammy, we really do appreciate the question and the, the situation for us to talk about. Hopefully this will give you some guidance and some things that you can think about. Your uh, Everything Fast Pitch t-shirt is in the mail. Wait and see how the coach rea- reacts to uh, this uh, discussion, just in case your coach is a listener. Um, don't wear the shirt to the very next practice. But this is all in an effort to make things better for everybody. So, right. So it's good when we get a chance to chat about it. Yeah, and, and, and hopefully everybody accepts it uh, in, the, in the spirit that it's intended. Absolutely. And I think your idea too, Tori, though, can pour over into other things as well that come up. So right. I think that's awesome. Yeah. So Tammy, thank you very much. All right. So that's going to lead us into this week's edition of Paige's Power Play. Welcome back. It's Paige here. And I had an amazing question that came up in our live calls for the Confident Athlete. If you don't know, every single week, if you're in the Confident Athlete program, you hop on a live group call and we talk about questions. I answer questions. We have good discussion. We're talking about how we're implementing the mental training skills and tools. And it's definitely one of my favorite parts of the program because we, I get to see the girls. We're interacting. We're supporting each other. Oh, it's just the best. Anyway, this question came up of how long did it take you to become confident? So one of the girls asked this question for me. And I... It made me really think about how I wanted to answer this question or what my answer was for this question. And here was my answer to the girls, okay? It's not like I worked on my mindset and now I'm cured, okay? I am not 100% confident 100% of the time. I am a human, okay? I hate to break it to you, but I am am 100% human. So... Think about it as different subjects in school, okay? You have English, history, math, science, you kind of get the point, right? Your grades in each of these subjects vary, right? You might have a 95% English and 80% in math. You get the point. So confidence is kind of like those subjects in school. You might be 100% confident in your defense, but 60% confident in your offense and 75% confident in making new friends and 40% confident in asking for help. Okay, I know you probably don't have actual grades, but just think of it like that. Sometimes it varies, right? It's different in different categories and different parts of your game. But here's what I know is true. I know that when I started focusing on what I was thinking and working on, my, when I was working on my mindset, my confidence was booming because what we think and what we say is what we believe. All right. It took me less than six months to turn my confidence around my senior year of college, less than six months. I know I talk about it as a year because we think of like your senior, my senior year as an entire year, but I shifted around my confidence about when our season started. So if we're really being particular, it could have been 
about three to four months, really. Everyone's journey is different. Everybody's journey to confidence is going to be different. So mine might take six months. Someone else's might take a year. Someone else might take a month. I don't know, but it's better to start now rather than later. I promise you that one. If you're ready to start creating more confidence in your life, then you need to join us. You need to be a part of the Confident Athlete because you are going to be on the greatest journey of all time. And not only is it going to serve you, you know, in a week, in a month, in six months, it's going to serve you when you're 20, when you're 30, when you're 40 years old, you're going to take this stuff for life and it's going to just continue to help you excel. So if you are ready for that, you got to get in the Confident Athlete. You got to apply for it. Go to my website, pagetons.com and go apply for the Confident Athlete if that's something you want to be a part of. I will talk to you soon. Have an amazing day. See you later. Donna, I enjoy listening to Paige every week. She's always got something positive to say. Um, I know we've been uh, trying to share her Facebook posts on a regular basis, and uh, I strongly recommend for all of our listeners, all of these kids, everybody who's playing this game would benefit from her program. And I know sometimes we talk ourselves into thinking we don't have time to add one more thing. We don't have time to do one more thing. But so much of what Paige does has long-term, life-changing, life-altering benefits for players. I think it's a high priority. If, you're, if my choice was a kid got to go to one more lesson in a week or spend time working on the confidence uh, boosting stuff that Paige is working on, I think that the stuff she's doing really has tremendous benefit, and I think we should definitely be taking advantage of it. It'd be well worth the commitment, right? Absolutely. Yep. So that's going to take us into this week's leadoff topic. The leadoff topic is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite Sporting Goods is located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678 678- Three seven seven zero two seven zero. You can also contact them at elitesportsorders at yahoo.com. Now, last week we threw out a quick little uh, uh, editorial about people uh, being patient with the uh, sporting goods industry. And honestly, right, right now, I think with all industries, I know in our dealings with uh, different companies and things like that, we know how strapped people are. I don't know what's happened, but uh, an awful lot of companies can't get people that want to work. And, and especially hard jobs like unloading ships and loading trucks and doing those kinds of things are really hurting right now. And unfortunately, the trickle-down is affecting all of us in all of our lives. And when you can't get a hamburger at Wendy's because Wendy's can't get beef, when Wendy's makes their own beef products, something's messed up. We've got some parents that distribute different products for you know restaurants and other things, and they're like, we haven't had straws to ship. We don't have napkins or just the regular basics or ketchup, condiments. Right. Just things are all set off. Everything's in a strange place. Yeah. And so uh, as you're venturing into this next season, just be patient. Um, you know, certainly whether whoever you deal with in the sporting goods business, if they are delayed in getting you jerseys, if they're delayed in getting you equipment, it's not that they're being incompetent. It's not that they're not trying their hardest to do everything they can. There are all kinds of supply line problems going on all across this country. And if we can all be a little bit more patient and understanding, I think we're all going to be a whole lot happier. I was going to say, I wonder how it's tough to plan ahead, too, because it's sizes. It's all a fresh start, a fresh set of uniforms. It's tough. Yeah, and stuff that used to be a couple of weeks is now sometimes a couple of months, and people are still used to it being, well, last week I got my stuff in two weeks. And, well, if the stuff is sitting on the dock in uh, California waiting waiting to get taken off the boat, or off the ship onto a truck and off the truck into a manufacturer, it's a messed up situation. And so everybody, please be patient. All those folks are doing the very best they can. And I know um, it's easy for us to get frustrated, but uh, we want to try to avoid that. So Don, last week we did a Facebook post of a blog that I wrote a while back about pitching speed. And and, the quick uh, backstory for anybody that didn't see the post is how it's really exciting to see all the Facebook posts with the excited faces and the excited look of the players with the radar gun in hand just achieved a new number just achieved a new personal record a new you know new fastest speed ever and the point of that article was that i think it's great that kids post it i think you should post to those kinds of things i think every time you do set a new milestone every time you do have a new accomplishment it's great to share it and parents and players should be really proud of it but the flip side of it is that for every time that a 10 year old 12 year old 14 year old posts that post and that speed 
there's somebody else going, well, what's wrong with my kid? Why can't we do that? Why can't she do that? Tori, social media is tough. It's tricky. And I mean, it, it pours over into everything, even away from pitch speed and the other pieces, whether right. it's uh, statistics, you know, getting, a, getting a ring, you know, we yeah. won a tournament, we, all these different things from, yeah. a, from a new car to a new anything. Yeah. Social media is tough. Well, and, and overall, uh, the response to this one was very positive. Nature of posting any of my stuff on, on Facebook is kind of hit and miss. Some of them are really popular and well-received that people like the message. Sometimes you're just trying to stir it up. Sometimes I stir it up a little bit and people think I'm crazy. And there's a little bit of that in this one too. We'll get to that in a second. But the moral to the story of that and what the responses really do indicate is that everybody just needs to keep their perspective on where each child is, where each player is, understand that everybody develops differently. Everybody has different strengths and weaknesses. Everybody has different capabilities at different ages. You know, there might be a 10-year-old that's throwing 50, there might be a 10-year-old that's throwing 30, and they both might be working just as hard, doing all the same things, you know, investing just as much time and effort, but one's just a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, a little bit more dynamic, whatever it is at this point in time. Doesn't mean that she's going to always be 20 miles an hour faster, and doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with your kid if she's 20 miles an hour slower. But we want to make sure that people are keeping that in perspective, because unfortunately, I see the unfortunate reaction sometimes when people do get frustrated because they have hit a plateau, hit a spot where they're not making these big giant gains. And all of a sudden a mom or a dad looks on a Facebook post and sees that a player that you know, or a player the same age or somebody that looks about the same size or whatever. And then they're standing there with that radar gun and it's five, six, eight, 10, 15 miles an hour faster than our record is. Right. I understand that it can be frustrating or challenging, the reason we wanted us to talk about it was to make so sure that we don't lose our minds over it. It doesn't mean that we should quit pitching just because we're not at the same pace, right? Right. And that was, I think, part of your next point. Yeah, and, th- and that's the whole thing is, you know, a kid right now, and you know, it's 10 or 12 years old, that's 10 miles an hour slower than somebody else might be 10 miles an hour faster in three years. Right. You know, there's, there's no way of knowing how that's all going to work out. And as long as they're working hard and really committed to, you know, being the best version of themselves that they can be, I think that's what we should really be celebrating. And if a player is throwing 10 miles an hour slower, but she can hit a spot every single time she throws a pitch, she's only got two pitches, but every time she throws them, they go exactly where she wants them to go. Gets us a good ground ball. Yeah. And the, the, yeah. the coach and the catcher can set up and, and use those two pitches to be super effective and win a lot of games versus, you know, the kid who's you know throwing 10 miles an hour faster who trying might to, be a trying little to bit throw it past everybody right, who might be yeah. a little bit less accurate a little, little bit more out of control a little bit more erratic they all have different strengths we want to celebrate what they all do well and we want to make sure that we're not losing our perspective because the lack of perspective is the only blowback i got from that article the ps to that blog was to not trust the speeds that you see when you watch the games on ESPN because the ESPN radar gun has a tendency of inflating the speeds a little bit to quite a bit, depending upon the the pitcher and the situation. Now, I've seen it up close and personal because there have been pitchers that I have coached that I've seen on TV games. There are pitchers that I have coached against that we've seen on TV games pitchers that I know really, really well have maxed out at speed X will end up on ESPN and they'll be five miles an hour, six miles an hour, seven miles an hour faster than the fastest pitch we've ever seen them throw. Therefore. And so now is it possible that because that player is on ESPN and they're so excited that they found some extra gear that geared them up to be able to throw five or six miles an hour faster than they've ever thrown in their lives? Maybe, Maybe, but probably not. And I understand that the idea of gilding the lily a little bit, you know, uh, exaggerating a little bit. It's exciting if you see 70 all day, right? But, But here's what I can tell you is there's an awful lot of college pitchers who are not even breaking 60 that win games. There's a whole lot of college pitchers in that 60, 61, 62 mile an hour range that are really, really effective. Now, yes, there are a couple of pitchers. There's a handful of pitchers that are busting 70 on a, on a regular basis. Yep. But it's a handful. And I promise when I wrote that blog, 
when you watch the games on TV last year and last year, they had the regionals, a bunch of them. They had all the super regionals and all the games from the College World Series. And if you based what pitching speeds are realistic in college based on that, anybody that was less than 65 didn't have a shot. Didn't ha- I mean, was, was non-existent. Yeah. Every team, it seemed, had somebody throwing 65 or more. And I can tell you from personal experience that there are pitchers that throw that hard. But every team in the NCAA tournament doesn't have one. Right. And every team doesn't have two or three. And when you see a team bringing in the second or third pitcher from the bullpen, and she's also throwing 72, 73 miles an hour, I'm just going to call shenanigans on that. Right. Now, I've got a different <laughs> word in mind, but I'm going to use shenanigans because I know we've got some young listeners. Because I've seen Monica Abbott up close and personal. She threw like six no-hitters against my team when I was coaching at Tennessee Tech. <laughs> And she throws hard. I know what 72 miles an hour looks like, and I've seen exactly one person in my lifetime who threw that fast all the time. That's Monica Abbott. Can we all agree that if she's not the best pitcher on the planet, she's in the top two? For sure. Maybe three? Top two or three, yeah. So everybody now in college has somebody like that? I just, I don't buy it, and I'm not going to buy it. And people can say, well, now that they can step back, of course they're throwing harder. Yeah, they are throwing harder. Seven miles an hour harder? I'm not buying it. <laughs> and so I wanted us to talk about it because I think what's happening now is the same social media phenomenon of somebody sees a, another 12-year-old who's throwing 10 miles an hour faster than me. We have an awful lot of people watching these games on college thinking, well, my daughter's never going to be able to throw 65. She might as well become a shortstop. And to think that if you can't get there, that doesn't mean that we need to discontinue right. the process. And, right. and again, like I said before, there's an awful lot of college pitchers that are still getting kids out that are throwing 58, 59, 60 miles an hour. The very best pitcher I ever had was, was Bonnie Bynum Graham. We've and, talked about Bonnie a few times. And, and she beat a couple good teams, right? She beat a lot of really good teams throwing <laughs> right. you know, 57, 58 miles an hour. And if she was pitching in her prime right now, the way she pitched back then, she would still be beating those same teams throwing 57, 58 miles an hour because she was the one that had a, you know, a limited number of pitches but she threw him great. And the defense played well behind her. And, and everybody expected to have to play some fit. defense. Uh, the flip side of it was, you know, you know, Bonnie was a strikeout pitcher. She probably still holds the conference record, probably all the school records for the most strikeouts in a year, because she was a strikeout pitcher who threw 57 miles an hour. But she threw a 57-mile-an-hour curveball that could not be hit. So don't panic. Don't freak out. Don't let the numbers on TV, don't let what you're seeing on, in social media convince you that your daughter is somehow less than, anyway. unable yeah. to, not going to be able to. Let her keep working at it. Let her be the best version of her she can be. And if that ends up meaning that she's Monica Abbott, beautiful. If it ends up meaning that she's Bonnie Bynum Graham, equally effective and still doing great, you know, or you know, any one of hundreds of other pitchers that are not overpowering, not you know, blow it by you every time type pitchers. There's a place for those pitchers in the game at all levels, and we want to celebrate them and make sure that we keep encouraging them just like we would the kids that are throwing you know, the cheese. And this might be a little off topic, Tori, but I'll bet that every one of the amazing pitchers that we talk about often on the podcast, every one of them at some point during their progress and careers had those feelings where maybe I can't do this, maybe right. I should try playing shortstop, like you said earlier. Maybe I don't quite have what it takes. And um, even magnified more with the social media things that you're talking about today. Those are the challenges we have as uh, adults or parents or coaches to help work through for them, right? Yeah, and it's uh, unfortunate, but I think some of this is why I think we have a shortage of pitching in the game right now. You know, The number of really good pitchers is smaller than it used to be, and the number of kids who really want to pitch is getting smaller and smaller. And I think some well, of it a lot is of all teams this, too. Yeah. yeah. So I think some of it is this uh, unfortunate uh, trickle down effect of kids not thinking that they're good enough, not thinking that they can be successful enough, and seeing a path of least resistance going with a different position instead of putting in the work to be the best version of themselves they can be as a pitcher. So, so I hope everybody enjoyed that. If you didn't see it, go back and check out that uh, blog. It was on our. Uh, fastpitchprep.com uh, Facebook page. And Your we, blogs are always fun, Tori. Yeah. There, there's a little bit of something in there for everybody. All right, so cleanup topic today, Don. What do we gain by complaining so much? 
This is the a random question, kind of ties into a couple different things. Because again, social media. Every time I click on Facebook, the very first thing every single time is a can you believe this umpire blew this call video clip? Oh, I was thinking about my ankles and my back and well, you know. <laughs> The, the complaining about that stuff is just normal for both of us. Right. What do we gain from posting those videos? What what do we really benefit? Do we, what do we benefit from every umpire in the world must be terrible because we can post something about the one bad call they made or the one really you know disturbing thing that happened in a game that, that we didn't like? What is it that we gain from thinking every one of our coaches is somehow incompetent because... All we ever point to is the one time, the one thing that didn't work strategically, the one decision that didn't work out that tournament or that game. What do we gain from being that person that's got to jump on Facebook, jump on Twitter, and share to the world how aggrieved we are, how put out we are by the fact that people that are involved with this game aren't perfect? Well, I think that as you're saying all those things, I'm thinking about what a rough position they're all in, both coaches and umpires, every day they go out there. They're, you know, subject to a lot of uh, criticism and a lot of scrutiny. And again, that's a, a tough situation to be in every day, day after day. And we've talked about having a shortage of umpires, which kind of trickles down to you know, less lesser experienced umpires, yeah. right? Well, and the, the so, umpire shortage is legitimate. So there we're going to have some of that. Yeah, there are not enough umpires to cover all the events. We're seeing more and more tournaments that are using one umpire, seeing a lot of umpires that are standing out between uh, second base and the pitcher's mound trying to call balls and strikes from, from out on the field and then Sweet. also be in a position to call plays on the bases. We're seeing events and games getting canceled all the time because they don't have enough umpires. And all that is is part of this situation. And we see, you know, from the coaching aspect, you know, the number of coaches now that are willing to put up with all the extraneous complaining and problems. You know, we spent uh, the whole episode last week talking about eight and under and ten and under coaches having to deal with parent problems and parent issues and and parents complaining and parents unhappy. But my question is more of a fundamental. So what do what, these what people, are we getting? Yeah, from what it? are these people getting from it? And this is why I want us to add this to the agenda today. Is I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I'm start, I started listening to a podcast called The Happiness Lab. Right. And The Happiness Lab is about 100 episodes now, and it's all science-based research, science-based understanding of what makes people happy, things that make you happier, you know, ways to have more stress, less stress, you know, how to be you know, more comfortable. And a lot of the stuff I've taken from it is what we think we're getting and what we're really getting from most of what we do are two really different things. And so the episode this week is about the world and the problem that the world has with this never-ending griping, complaining, whining, moaning about stuff in our lives. And you know, some of the stuff that uh, people are, are talking about is relatively you know minor stuff like trying to peel the little sticker off of your apple that tells you whether it was a Red Delicious or a Granny Smith, and how sometimes... They, it, you know, you they gotta, stick those things on there pretty good, Tori. Yeah, but you know, th- that's kind of a meaningless little thing. You, know, you, you get a knife out of the drawer and you use it to get, the, gouge it out yeah, of there. To, to get the label off. Gouge it. But the, the more extreme examples <laughs> are, I'm so mad at this umpire that I have to post it on Facebook. I'm yeah. so mad at my coach or my daughter's coach that I have to post something on Twitter to point out th- their I, shortcomings, their mistakes. I don't know how, how some have so much time to do all right. this too, right? Well, but, but here's what, I, what I've learned, what the, the science of the Happiness Lab told me. Most of the people that are posting these things and most of the people that are complaining the most think that there's some sort of strength in numbers or some sort of unity in, if I post this, I'll get a hundred other people to say, oh yeah, that guy's a clown. Oh yeah, that guy, that, that's a terrible decision. Oh, you know, I would never do that. They should have never done that. That somehow that the feedback that you're going to get is going to prove that you're right. And even if you are. And that's the moral to the story. So even if a thousand people jump on board, watch the video and say, yeah, that umpire was wrong. That's the worst call ever. I can't believe that. That you know, That's the most ridiculous thing, you know, that I've ever seen. It really doesn't make you feel any better. It, right. You know, it doesn't really change you. Now, we want to think that it does. But again, you know, they talk about our lying minds. 
And our lying mind tells us all this stuff. You're not going to let it rest after that. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't really make your life better. All it does is, is, if anything, add to more aggravation, because instead of ever letting it go, because you can't change it, you can't make it different. You can't go back in time and, and make the call 100 different. More, one more, 100 more people just agreed with you. 100 more people are now thinking something negative about something that they have no possible impact on. There's no way that it can change anything. And all that we find out is that having people agree with me doesn't make me any happier. Having people tell me I'm right for being mad doesn't solve the problem. All it does is just add one more layer of aggravation to it unbelievable temptation we have to gripe about those kinds of things, to be mad about those kinds of things, is so unproductive, so foolish, that if you really are that person that feels so aggrieved, you have to edit that video clip and send it out. Before you do it next time, listen to the Happiness Lab, and you're going to find out that what you just did made you unhappier, made you less optimistic, content, made you more likely to be frustrated again made it more likely for you to show the world that you are that person that's just always mad about something. You know, they talked about, uh, you know, there are people that, you know, go through your lives, people who know you well form this opinion. And they talked about one guy that, well, yeah, that's Mr. Grumpy. That's all we ever think of when we see him is Mr. Grumpy. Well, what does that do for you? Maybe people might steer away. I don't know. Yeah, but if, in, yeah. in most situations, we don't really want to scare everybody away, right? Right. So all the griping, all that stuff, I know you think you're doing something that's paying off, that's going to make you feel better, but I would love to spend one day looking at Facebook and not see one, oh my God, this umpire is the worst umpire ever. I would like to not see one more Facebook post or one more Twitter tweet talking about you know, well, I don't want to mention any names, but our coach did this, or the, you know, this coach did that kind of thing. It doesn't really accomplish anything. All it's doing is just keeping more problems going. It's not solving anything. And if we're really looking for solutions, you know, try going to the game, and instead of posting a video of the one really bad call or call that you think was really bad, post 15 minutes of the good calls. No and, instead of being really mad at your coach because they pinch hit for your kid in the seventh inning and the and the pinch hitter struck out. Think about the you know the dozens of other decisions that the coach made that put you in a position to you know to have a chance to win the game in the to seventh get to inning. The big game, yeah. Right? You know, instead of being mad at the coach who cost you that championship, think about the hundreds of decisions and things that that coach did that put you in the championship game, and start to see it more from that perspective and decide whether it's better for you to enjoy the good or spend all your time mad about the one or two bad. I think the happiness lab is going to tell us that uh, the latter is better, right? Well, we'll let the listeners decide for themselves, but obviously you know, the, the moral to the story here is we need umpires and we need coaches, and if you people keep going the way you're keep going, running. we're not going to have either. Don't run them off. <laughs> we're not going to have either. We're going to be sandlot softball where the kids are going to have to be their own umpires because there's not going to be any adult who's going to put up with what they have to put up with for 30 bucks a game. I like the post, Tori, where you got two little ones just arm in arm saying how they spent the weekend with their best friend and they finished third. Yeah. Right? And, and if That's we awesome. Could, if that we, makes me smile. Yeah. And, and we'd like a little bit more smiling, a little bit less griping. Yeah. All right. So, Don, that's going to take us to our coaching tip of the week. Coaching tip of the week comes to us from Coach Javier, his daughter, has uh, just started her career as a junior college pitching coach. She's been struggling, a little bit frustrated, because she's seeing great things from her kids, from her players in bullpen sessions, and they're doing really good work in practice, but there's like a disconnect. They're not quite able to carry it over into game situations just yet, and she's looking for suggestions or ideas, ways to help them bridge that gap a little bit quicker to you know help them see a little bit more success a little bit on quicker the field. on the field. And yeah. So, This is one of those never-ending discussions for all of us that coach because, and I deal with this on an everyday basis with hitters that I work with, Don, I know you do the same thing, that mom or dad will come back after the weekend and say, well, for some reason, she just doesn't look like the same hitter in games as she does in lessons, or she doesn't look like the same hitter in games as she does in practice. Um, Now, obviously, we deal with hitters much more than pitchers, but I'm sure that the same thing is true that pitching coaches here on, on an everyday basis 
Well, she just doesn't, you know, look the same on game day as she does when she's in her lessons, you know, and here she's doing this so well, she's doing that so well, and then she kind of loses it on game day. And so I think this is a universal problem um, that, that we see in our game. And I think the solution that I would start off with is one, trying to do some things in practice that are simulating more game-like situations, trying to you know amp up the intensity level a little bit. Having batters stand in for both right. ends. and um, yeah. Different kinds of things like that to make it feel more competitive. Do some you know, more drills that are outcome based, scrimmage things. Yeah, where you have, you know, X number of pitches to hit a spot. You have every situation today is a full count. Every situation today is a full count bases loaded. Every situation is a winning run at third and there's nobody out. You know, different kinds of things that are going to simulate and, and try to yeah, try to make more of a connection. Because I think the biggest challenge that all players face when it comes to game day is that there is inherent distraction. There is inherent pressure that comes along with putting your uniform on and facing somebody from the other team. And whether it's eight and under coach pitch or it's you know junior college or college level play, that all players have to figure out how to overcome some of that. Right, and, yeah. and push through those distractions, push through that quote-unquote pressure so that they're feeling like game day is less pressurized than practice. And so I would start off with as many competitive-based, you know, situational-based drills, bullpens, you know, scrimmage-type situations. You know, maybe we need to put a hitter in the box and do some situational, you know, pitching with a, a teammate as the, as the opposition. You know, just different ways to help them see more game-like situations in the stuff that they're doing every day. I was going to say, and Tori, I think you've said this many times on previous podcasts too, and, and we talk about it, but uh, if practice is tough then, and games are easy, we've done our job. So to your thought about you know, creating really pressured situations is awesome. I think a lot of this stuff is between the ears, and if they can find comfort knowing that you know, there is a good defense behind them and that those, those kids are pretty skilled, especially at the college level if we're talking right. about uh, junior college kids. They do a great job behind you, so make them do some work. Put some of it on that defense. And then, and then share with them, you know, whether it's statistics. It's like, you know, hey, we've got a 900% fielding uh, percentage as a team. So nine out of the 10 balls that are hit out there, we're making great plays for you. And that's going to go a long ways too. But, right. you know, I think that, that much of it is between the years and you got to bridge that gap. You got to experience it. It's tough at the college level because, you know, every day we have a, a result that um, reflects on us. So we want game day to be the best that we can show. And that just makes it tough. So. Right. Uh, but I do think that if practice can be tough and games can be a little bit more uh, uh, cruise control or easier, then then we're getting somewhere. Right. And the other thing that you mentioned, you know, with it's between the ears, you know, spending time as part of practice, working on mental game aspects, working on visualization, working on a routine, working on your breathing, all those different kinds of things that maybe we don't always do Rehearsing, in practice. Yeah. Right. You know, so that it starts to feel like what you're doing in practice does carry over if. Every pitch that you're throwing in the bullpen has a routine, you know, where you work the exact same routine that you would work if you were pitching to the cleanup hitter in the bottom of the seventh inning. But you work on your breathing the same way in the bullpen. Uh, when you work on the, those things the same way in practice, then the game starts to feel more like what you're used to. There's still going to be some additional stuff that you work through on game day, um, but I think if we can invest time in the mental game stuff, you know, working on your routine, working on you know visualization and that, those kinds of things is going to always pay off. Um, and I think to me, one of the things that happens, especially with some older players, if they have not done a lot of mental game stuff, if they haven't done much of that coming up, they're very resistant to it. They think that it's, you know, I'm just going to have to work harder. I'm going to have to you know throw more pitches. I'm going to have to do more physical stuff. And unfortunately, I think that the the mental aspect of it is so important that that might be a, the missing ingredient. And so um, that would be the other thing that I would recommend is adding that uh, mental game training into what you're doing in the bullpen sessions, in your practice sessions, to help the kids kind of feel that connection. No, I think that's great advice for sure, Tori. And the disadvantage you and I have here talking about it is not knowing the personality of the pitchers, um, you know, the kids that you're working with. And, 
you know, how the defense does work behind them and things like that. So that's a little bit of a disadvantage for us, but they don't have to do it all on their own. Right. And sometimes, you know, as a pitcher, maybe coming up to that, to that point, they've been the one that's had to do it all, you know, on their travel teams or, you know, we don't know some of that background. So, you know, at the college level, those team behind them can do a lot for them. And right. as soon as they find that confidence and comfort in that, then right. I think they can really get after it. Right. So, so to sum it up then, uh, spend time working on your mental game. Try to make practices much harder, much more competitive, much more demanding so that the games seem easier. And make sure we keep talking about all the things that your team can do to help you so that you don't have to feel like you're out there toting the barge all by yourself. As that feeling of being out there in the circle with the ball in your hands, feeling like you know the whole world is watching. If you don't feel confident that uh, all those things are working for you, it can be a pretty lonely place. And so hopefully that stuff will help. Um, I think it's all good, uh, useful stuff that is easily incorporated and easy to do without having to change the routine too drastically. The mental game stuff is something that you know we talk about quite often. I think it's it's a beautiful thing to allow kids to use. You can check out pagetons.com. Uh, she's got s- some workshop stuff and some uh, worksheets that you can uh, you know, print off that are free that uh, you can use with your kids and see if that doesn't help them a little bit. I was going to say, we talk about Paige every week, right? Yeah. The Confident Athlete's a great program. And these, so. thing, these things carry over into travel ball and, and all the way up. Like you mentioned, if kids aren't used to um, that process or, or that type of uh, coaching prior to college, then they might be a little bit more resistant. But uh, you know, if we're able to expose them to it at the younger levels and ages, we could be uh, onto something really good when they do get off to school. Right. Well, and, and you know, just a perfect, you know, a quick little story. I can remember going out to the mound once on a day that we were really struggling, bringing the whole infield in. We made a couple of errors, and you know, it looked like we were fielding with oven mitts on or something like that. I mean, we just right. couldn't make a play. And the first thing I said was, "Okay, everybody, take a really deep breath." And a couple of the kids looked at me like I was asking them to, like, you know, punch a puppy in the face or whatever. <laughs> You know, what are you talking about? That isn't going to help. And they like, well, what you're doing isn't working so good, so try this and see if it doesn't help. You know, I think sometimes kids Oxygen. are just resistant to it. So, yeah. um, But hopefully that will help. And as, as always, please make sure you reach out to us with listener questions, uh, topics, things that you would like us to talk about. Again, everything fastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. As always, we're looking forward to hearing from you so we can talk about stuff that you're interested in because obviously it drives the discussion into areas that uh, are important to you as, as our listeners, and we want to reach out to you as, as much as we can with stuff that's, uh, that's useful. Also, we're looking for Player of the Week nominations. It's the same email. Go to the fastpitchprep.com website. You can order your Square Cuts training discs there. Over 700 blogs. Um, the YouTube channel, there's tons of information available to you there. You know, we think is really, really valuable, and we're happy that you have access to it. As always, keep listening. Get people you know to listen to everything Fast Pitch and Coach Prep. So for Coach Don McKinley and our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tori saying thanks for listening to 184. We'll talk to you again next week. 